Welcome to Behind the Line, where we pull back the curtain on the challenges facing first responders and frontline workers. The work you do is unique, and so are the stresses that go with it. Join me as we tackle key issues to reduce risks for burnout, and as we work to support you in doing the job you love without sacrificing being the kind of person you want to be. Hey there, and welcome back to Behind the Line. I'm your host, Lindsay Foss. If you're new to Behind the Line, what you should know about me is that I'm a clinical counselor specializing in trauma therapy. And after over a decade working with first responders and frontline workers around issues like burnout, compassion fatigue, PTSD, and related OSIs, I've become a passionate wellness advocate and educator for those who sacrifice so much for our communities out on the front lines. Behind the Line is a place for us to talk about the real life behind the scenes challenges facing you on the front lines. I created this podcast with the hope of bringing easy access to skills for wellness, allowing you to find greater sustainability both on the job and off. We are into a new year. Welcome to 2022. And with a new year, we are also launching into a new series that I'm really excited to share with you. Back in the fall, I posted out to those who follow me on social media asking for input about what topics would be of value to hear more about, and one of the topics that came back with a lot of requests was how to detangle our sense of identity from our work. The question posed to me by a number of you was, how do I separate who I am from the work I do? It's a point that's come up again and again during episodes we've tackled over the past year. We've touched again and again on how first response and frontline work cultures create this intense sense of commitment to the job and identity within the job. Academies and training talk about being a family or a brotherhood. The expectation to self-sacrifice for the work potentially even being prepared to lay down your life for those you're serving or those you serve alongside, it makes it impossible to not be deeply personally connected. There's something that seems noble in this. There's often a sense of calling to the work, a backstory that ties us to why we enter into this kind of work. How many times in interviews on this show have we heard, I was a teenager when I decided I wanted to be a nurse, or I grew up in a law enforcement family, or other comments that tell this way back story for why this work is my destiny. The helper's heart was implanted in us from early. We've always cared about people. We knew we wanted to make a difference, and so on. So when the work has felt so much a part of us for so very long, and when it demands so much from us in the day-to-day, is it really so surprising that we attach our sense of identity to the career that we chose? Seems obvious, but it's also super dangerous. Today, we're gonna talk about the normalness of tying our identity to our work both on a general level as well as specifically as first responders and frontline workers. But then we're going to dig into the risks related to this enmeshment. If that feels like a weird word, enmeshment, you'll be getting to know it a lot better today. 
And from there, we'll spend the next few weeks working out how to make strides toward detangling who we are from what we do in ways that still allow us to do what we do in totally kick-ass ways. I want to start by asking you to think back for a moment. Can you remember the first time you were asked what you wanted to be when you grew up? I can remember that even as a very young child, all the way back to probably kindergarten, this question popped up. In its innocence, it's really a question asking about our interests. Who do we admire? What do we like? What do we imagine we might like to do when we're big and have more choices? But the way we shape the question betrays a more ominous cultural belief. We don't ask, what do you think you might do for a living when you grow up? Or what kind of job do you imagine having someday? We ask, what do you want to be when you grow up? Without necessarily intending to, from so little, we are shaping a cultural norm that says what you do is who you are and who you hope to be is directly tied to the occupational choices you'll make someday. We ask, what do you want to be? Not who do you want to be? We focus on the performative action of becoming a profession of some kind, rather than digging into being broader people who show up in our lives in ways that we admire or value. We carry this on too, this cultural valuing of profession as identity throughout the course of our lives. For example, I want you to think of a time where you introduced yourself and weren't asked within a couple of minutes what you do for a living. I know COVID has maybe distanced us from this since we aren't meeting new people or gathering at events the same way we once did, but it is culturally the question that almost immediately follows saying our names. The running joke at my house is that telling people at a party that you're a therapist evokes one of two reactions. Either people believe you have some kind of magical telepathic spidey sense that can read minds and they avoid you like the plague in hopes that you won't psychoanalyze them, or they jump into unsolicited divulging of their entire life stories to you, crying on your shoulder in the corner of a crowded room while you just try to enjoy the snacks. There was actually a point at which my husband begged me to tell people I did something else for a living. Make something up, he said, anything. Tell them you're a plumber, but stop saying you're a therapist. It ruins the party. My hunch is you know what I'm talking about, and likely you've had an added version of the party scenario where curiosity shows up and complete strangers inappropriately query whether you've ever shot someone or wonder about the worst call you've ever been on or nowadays ask endless questions about COVID. Now, for a lot of people, this link between personal and professional is real but manageable. Working a nine to five where I get to leave work at work and have some separation between my work life and home life allows me to cultivate other parts of my life to balance out the work I do and keep the cultural values around work and identity a bit in check. But for those who are deeply tied to their work, who experience a sense of calling and vocation in their profession, the blurring of lines between personal and professional happen really quickly and deeply. 
Derek Thompson wrote an article in The Atlantic, I'll link to it in the show notes, where he talks about the idea of workism. He says, workism, quote, is the belief that work is not only necessary to economic production, but also the centerpiece of one's identity and life's purpose. And the belief that any policy to promote human welfare must always encourage more work, end quote. I think for most of us who go into helping professions, whether that's healthcare, law enforcement, public safety, we certainly didn't go into it for the money. We likely also didn't go into it for the prestige or interest in a cushy job. It likely wasn't solely for necessary economic production, but rather to get paid to do something that would make a difference. For most in these kinds of professions, It was our heart that led the way in making the choice to enter the work we do. And as a result, our hearts are differently on the line. Here's the real catch-22. Having been led by our hearts into the work, feeling passionately about people and wanting to make a difference, is what likely allows us to be great at what we do in a lot of ways. That said it's also what puts us at really high risk for burnout and what robs us of sustainability over the long haul if we're not extremely careful and intentional about protecting and caring for our hearts well. Being led by our hearts into the work means that we pour into it. We invest hard. This isn't just my job. This is my life's work. This is my legacy. These people in it with me are my people, and the work we're doing feels like the most important work I can imagine. I'm in it. It stops being something I do and quickly becomes something I am. And this is where we circle back to that word, enmeshment. We use the term enmeshment to describe various relationships to people or things where the lines between where I end and the other begins feels blurred and impossible to identify. This can show up in relationships with people where we might have a bit more familiarity with the term, as well as in relationship to our activities, interests, and work. Anne Wilson, a psychology professor at Wilfrid Laurier University in Ontario, talks about the enmeshment trap. She says that, quote, If you tie your self-worth to your career, the successes and failures you experience will directly affect your self-worth, end quote. What this means is that a hard day or an error or mistake grows into being a reflection of your value as a person. And in jobs where so much can go sideways, where you are showing up to the hardest moments in someone else's day and intervening in crisis and chaos where there's only so much you can do, this link between work and self-worth can quickly erode our sense of stability in the world as well as within ourselves. Not only that, but enmeshment will also tend to mean that we have increased difficulty letting go of our work and allowing ourselves to have a life outside of it. We'll be thinking of work when we're not there or bringing up conversations about work for a lack of other interests or experiences to connect around. 
She says that enmeshment allows the job to, quote, eat up one's time and identity, leaving less space for hobbies and interests. It makes it harder to connect with people who aren't a part of your working life, end quote. Does that sound at all familiar? When our work, particularly work where there is a lot of hard and where winning feels hard to measure, when this determines so much of our self-worth and identity, it's been shown to have significant impacts on mental health, including leading to burnout, depression, anxiety, and other related concerns. One of the byproducts of this I see way too often in my clinical practice is the degree of identity crisis that then plays out when someone is off work due to injury or when they retire. It's a fascinating but also incredibly sad and frustrating piece. For those who are off work due to injury, whether a physical injury or an occupational stress injury or other mental health concern, it is so hard to cope and function because without the work, who the hell am I? And what happens if I can't go back? How do I reconcile my sense of identity if I am just suddenly not a part of this job anymore? And the loss is connected to the family or brotherhood that I was encouraged to buy into can feel tremendous because for those who are still doing the job, they tend to distance from those no longer in the daily grind alongside them. Now, this piece shows up for a lot of reasons. The busyness and lack of crossing paths in the halls is a part of it. Sometimes there are actual instructions from organizations not to contact those who are off work. But also, there can be a bit of a fear to look too closely at someone who's off, especially for mental health concerns, because I might see myself staring back at me and have to reflect on my own mental wellness concerns. For the person who's off work and wrestling with this identity crisis and the loss of connection and support related to work, particularly if off for mental health concerns, this further complicates and delays recovery because I'm not only dealing with the primary concern at hand, but also these additional existential questions that feed back into my sense of instability, insecurity, and uncertainty. For those who retire, there's often a similar but slightly different experience. They worked hard to get to this point, to be able to now start a life we might hope to include travel and time and space and connection. But if we haven't invested in cultivating relationships and interests outside of our work, it's a pretty abrupt transition to realize that I have no idea what to do or who I am if I'm not going into work on Monday. If we don't have a clear sense of purpose outside of the job we do, retirement is going to be tough. And I have to tell you, I've seen it a ton of times. It does create an identity crisis where we're left to sort out from scratch who the hell I am and what I'm going to do now. What is really fascinating is that most people don't have any awareness that this workism thing is happening. In part because we've bought into the cultural norms that this is what it means to be living our best lives. Being invested in your work and being in the hustle is something we praise. We are a culture of busyness. We think those who are busy are killing it. 
It's also that we can genuinely love our work. We can actually feel that we're doing our dream job and pouring into something we care a lot about. And let me be clear, that's not a bad thing. It's just risky when it's the only basket we've put our eggs in. That's the concern of enmeshment. We put all of our eggs about who we are and how we value ourselves into this one basket. And what happens if or when that doesn't last forever? Then what? I was reading an article in preparation for this episode and I got to one part and laughed. It talked about how COVID has presented this rare opportunity for a lot of professionals to detangle their identities from the work they do. It talked about how working from home and increased time has meant people are finding new hobbies and interests and getting creative in new and different ways. Reading it, I realize they are likely not speaking to the group of professionals who have been called on now more than ever before. As first responders and frontline workers, there have been no breaks. There has been no work from home and extra time. You were the exception to the stay-at-home orders. We asked that you put yourselves and your families at increased risk of exposure to continue meeting the safety and health needs of our communities while others learned to cook or picked up a new language. We have asked you to work ridiculous shifts and keep showing up in the face of massive staffing issues. I know that many of you are tortured by endless short call notifications during your days off and that there's guilt for choosing to catch up on some sleep rather than going in to keep another shift afloat. You haven't gotten this magical opportunity that others have had to step back from the hustle of work life and make decisions about how you'll go forward to keep some balance between work and life outside of work. Work has now more than ever become life. It's absorbed everything. Even if it wasn't personal before, it is really damn hard to have separation right now. If you're hearing a lot of your own life in today's episode, I don't want you to stress about it. It means you're in the right place, and we're going to keep working through this series on how we address this in ways that are doable. What I really want you to hear is that enmeshment of identity into work is a really common risk for people generally, but most especially for first responders and frontline workers, really helping professions overall. I also want you to hear that if you're aware that you're experiencing enmeshment of identity into work, it's not your fault. Culturally, societally, and systemically, we set you up for this. That said, while it's not your fault, now that you're growing awareness of it, it is your responsibility to try to course correct for it. And you know we've got your back in that. Our goal for today's episode was to voice the concerns, normalize the commonness, and identify the risks related to enmeshing identity with work. In our coming episodes throughout January, we will dig into ways to handle this to help protect ourselves from some of the risks we outlined here today. As you likely already know about me, I love being practical, and we're going to make sure that you walk away from this series with a really strategic, tactical plan that you can put into practice. As we wrap up for today, I want to remind you to please reach out and connect if you have any questions or feedback. You know I love hearing from you and shaping this podcast to echo your needs and interests. 
I love hearing about what you're working on and how you're using what we talk about on this show. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Lindsay A. Foss, where you can follow me or tag me, or you can feel free to email me at support at thrive-life.ca. I'm grateful that many of you are keen to share about Behind the Line and spread the word to others on the front lines. Know that we can be found online on our website, on most major podcast platforms, as well as on YouTube. Click subscribe to get alerts about our latest episodes or subscribe to our email list to hear more from me about all the exciting things we have going on and coming up. You'll find all of the details you need in the show notes. You'll also find links to our Beating the Breaking Point Indicators Checklist and Triage Guide to help facilitate self-assessing burnout and related concerns. We make all of this available to you and for free because the work you do is critical for our communities. But even more than that, you as the person you are is of critical value. And we want to make sure you have what you need to keep up the good work. So use it and share it. Until next time, stay safe.